Dean Dark is an absurd, over-the-top comedy horror adventure that is intended for older audiences. Content warnings can be found in the episode descriptions. Hello and welcome to Dean Dark, a comedy horror adventure real play podcast loosely based on Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition and starring some of history's most infamous monsters. I'm Danger Dan Jers, and I'm your host slash Crypt Keeper. I'll do the recap this session since everyone is still separated on their solo adventures. So, last episode, I pranked everyone by making them spend a session as the General Mills breakfast cereal monsters in a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids fiasco, but now they are properly back in the ethereal plane and still need to find their way back together again. So, with that, let's get back to the spooky ghost dimension. Mary. Your outfit begins to return to normal, and the world starts to shift and change around you once again. The environment that you find yourself in is not the one that you had previously left when you first entered the portal. You are no longer in the asylum and sanitarium, but you find yourself materializing in a world that is devoid of color. Everything seems to have been drained out, and you feel a lingering sense around you, some ghostly ethereal whispers, and a sense of dread. And this time, you can be certain, you are now in the ethereal plane. And as you look around your surroundings, trees begin to pop up around you, and you see a very familiar set of jagged architecture that is filled to the brim with identical hunchbacked workers that are under the supervision of a ten-faced automaton that is ordering around these Igors in this ethereal plane version of Northampton. Some Igors begin to run right up to where your body is and pass directly through you. The Igors are gathering supplies and working on a large building attachment over the main church, and the Decadrone is standing above them, giving orders. Please work with all due haste for the glory and the knowledge that we seek as we extend our reach towards the heavens. And the Igors are scrambling around with a whole bunch of pillars and metal materials as they seem to be working on the base of some sort of antenna that they are attaching to the church building. Oh, how I have missed working like this. It is so great to have a new master that we are under the thrall of. Oh, I can only imagine the scientific achievements that we will make. And as everyone is running to and fro, you feel a presence right behind you, and a ghostly hand taps you on the shoulder. <gasps> I spin around and try to reach for my longsword. Oh, there is no need for such savagery. I am the ghost of an eagle. I simply am observing what my brethren can do that I cannot. So, what brings you to the ethereal plane? I like wave my hands like, you can see me? I should hope so. Although you do not seem to be a ghost like I am. Uh, no, I've walked through, well, two really weird portals to get here. I'm traveling with my friends. I was in London. I don't know why I'm back here in Northampton, though. Hmm, that is rather odd. 
Well, I hope that you will enjoy the festivities. We are working on a new antenna. At, at least some sort of a building unit like that, from what I can presume. I too am an onlooker and merely a visage and monitor from beyond. Unfortunately, I'm not here to stay and watch your brethren work. I need to get to my friends. We have to stop someone by the name of Dracula. He cocks his head and says, Who? Um, I have no idea either. Apparently, uh, wait, how long ago were you alive? Did you die recently or have we met before? I feel like I would remember meeting someone such as you. But uh, I died within the last year. I've been on looking the changes to this town, and a lot have happened in a very short span of time. Well, I don't know who Dracula is either. Apparently, the group I was with, well, you probably saw them. It was me, a guy covered in bandages, or two guys covered in bandages. One of them was head to toe. Another was looked like beef jerky. Um, a guy, a pretty boy in a mask, and a good man with a bolo tie. The five of us walked through here some time ago who saw my dad, and now we, well, they are somewhere else, and I ended up here on the Ethereal Plane because we need to get to Warwick Castle. Ah, that does sound vaguely familiar. I do remember I was speaking with my cousin, the other ghost, Igor, when he was snatched away from me, from mid-conversation, by that, uh, that very interesting bandaged man that you describe as beef jerky. I, I do remember that happening. Yeah, that would be Imhotep. Um, I'm new to the ethereal. This is the ethereal plane, right? I believe so. I can pass through solid objects, which was never a skill I had when I was alive, but uh, the fact that I'm lingering around means that I have some unfinished business that needs tending to. <laughs> That's sad. I agree. <laughs> I think that I am in need of some instruction from a new master. Do you have anything that I can assist you with? As a matter of fact, I think I do. Do you know the way to London from here? Hmm. Well, I believe if we were to go by foot, that would be the slowest method of transportation. If you were to receive a significant jolt, you could be bounced back to your previous location. I look over to the giant antennas like, does that look like a lightning rod to you? What's the weather like where I'm at? Like it was the last time that you came around this town, the weather is significantly stormy and clouds are brewing overhead. Perfect. Allow me to come with you then. If I can help you path over, then that might meet the criteria I need to path on myself. I don't know, I'm not 100% sure how this works, but I'm, I'm jumping to conclusions here. Neither do I, but you know what? You said Jolt of Energy to get me to where I need to go, and I need to get to where my friends are at Warwick Castle, and I can't walk, and as far as I know, we can't fly either. We can't fly, right? Well, I don't know about you, but... Shit, I jump up and I, start, and, uh, I try to fly. Hmm. Interesting. Well, well, this confirms that you are not a ghost, so hopefully you won't become one while you're in here. I, 
Although I would like to see what would happen. I rather. But uh, don't take that as a threat. Uh, take that as scientific curiosity. Uh, anyway, let's let's make our make all due haste to reconvene with the previous master. Mm-hmm. Wait, so I can't fly, right? No. Okay, yeah, I had to be like, I'm like, all right. And I make my way up towards the antenna. Okay, and as you make your way towards the church building, other Igors are running to and fro, and you hear the Decadrone continuing to shout orders in the voice that has slowly over time just become a Dalek. (laughs) Faster, faster, we must reach our knowledge towards the heavens. As you approach the church building, you are, without even touching the doors, you are able to just pass cleanly through the wall. And moving with near ghost-like physics, but being shown up by the Igor who is floating around you, just for the hell of it, (laughs) orbiting you like a satellite, you make your way through the church facade into the laboratory proper, where you see, in the lab setup that you had left before, Hovering in the middle of the room, Victor Frankenstein is deep in thought and meditation, and you can hear psychic energy that is pinging out around you as you can overhear some of his thoughts that are drifting into your plane as residue from him poking around the abyssal plane. You do also notice that there is the beginnings of another body on a gurney in the middle of this lab that bear a striking resemblance to the female creature that was your doppelganger. I told him not to do that. Uh, I, I just, I groan and I'm just like angry because, you know, he's doing the, the one thing I told him not to do. And just out of frustration, I go to the body and just like, you know, kind of like how I'll slap fighting and just like try to mess with it, see if I can mess with it. But since my hand just goes through it, I just, I just go. As you give it your full force and concentrated effort in slapping it, it shifts over like a half a centimeter. Uh, that'll take too long. <laughs> I just like look over to my to Victor Frankenstein who's meditating my flares like oh I'm gonna come back for this and you and I are gonna have a conversation you are not going to enjoy but right now I have more pressing matters than her as I look at the female construct I'm like old habits die hard I guess go up to the tower just like giving my dad one more just hard look as you make eye contact with Victor his eyes shoot open and he is looking in your direction but he seems to be looking past you and through you Mary if you're trying to speak to me I cannot hear you this work requires the entirety of my conscious mind so you'll have to make do with my psychic projection as you can see we've been hard at work with the cooperation of the Igors They've been seeking a way to harness and amplify the psychic energy inherent to my new form. With the help of their efforts, I have pierced the veil between this world and the abyss in search of information. We picked up a recurring pattern of psychic energy when we aim for it in a specific direction, not unlike a radio wave. We're in the process of decrypting the signal now. In fact, it should be done any minute. In what little downtime I've had from this project, I've been working on something on the side. Something for you, actually. I know too well now the burden of being the only one of my kind, at least on this plane. For this reason, I've been piecing together a new... creature. 
a bride for you, if you will. Something, someone to be a companion of yours. I cannot promise you a definite timeline on when she will be done, especially with the more sensitive operations in this lab taking much of my time, but I will contact you when she is ready. Oh, and speaking of which, it's finished now. The signal is translated. Here, here, let us share in this moment of discovery. The signal reads, Rainer, the Prince of Death, the Prince of Undeath, Rainer, the Prince of Death, the Prince of Undeath, Rainer, the Prince of Death, the Prince of Undeath. And then it cuts out. That's all it reads. Puzzling. I wonder if the identity, or perhaps the identities, of these princes in their relation to Rainer. I will contact you if I find anything else. And his eyes narrow again, and he returns to his focus. You know, he's looking through me, and I hear this, I just, like, give a nod, and I look over to Igor, he's like, all right, well, we gotta go and hope that lightning starts to strike, because I need to get going right now. All right, I believe there is a further patch up to the side of this room that will take you straight to the rooftop. Oh, I really hope I could use a ladder in this state because I've been walking through walls, walking through people. Hmm. Perhaps I could try something. All right, what do you have in mind? I'll be right back. Give me just one moment. And he disappears from the room, reappearing next to you. There is a zombified Igor holding a dagger with this ghost Igor next to him. This is the cousin I was telling you about earlier, who we left mid-conversation. There's something about the state that he's in. He sort of straddles both of these realms at once, so I, I was able to relay the message somewhat. If you can grab a hold of him, he might be able to take you on up there. He's looking around, can't see you, but gives a little smile. All right, so I clasp his shoulder, and I just point and go, that way. As you command, master. And he presses a thumb to the gem in the dagger, and the two of you warp to the roof. Oh, gee, oh, wow. Make a constitution saving throw. Three plus six, so it's a nine. With a nine, you're a bit nauseous and a bit dizzy from the ordeal, but it's not low enough that you'll take any damage. All right, that's good. You don't throw up, and you are able to hold your focus as you are now at the base of this antenna that is in the early stages of its construction, but still reaches up higher than any other point in the town. Oh, that must be what Dimension Door feels like. Don't know if I like it. And the zombie Igor looking around him and still not making eye contact with you and not fully being able to perceive you says, wherever you are, you're welcome. And then he walks to the edge of the roof, and he jumps off. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna have to tell Jack about that later. Oh, that was weird. All right. Let's see if this if we can make lightning strike twice in a manner of speaking. And I go as close as I can to the antenna, and I try to climb it. Can I climb that? If you put all of your focus and effort into it, you are able to climb it and maintain a very unsteady foothold. Roll nature. Ooh! 23. With a 23, 
as the storm clouds begin to surge above you and static rumbles through them, a bolt of lightning starts to make its way down and appears as though it is going to miss you. But the bolts in your neck and the metal framework of your skeleton fill with their own electric energy and this lightning almost instinctively and like magnetically drawn redirects towards you. Yay. And I will let you describe the spectacle of getting hit by lightning. Slow motion, Zack Snyder style. I just... <laughs> so as I see it, I jump off the lightning rod. I My bolts start to flicker as I go towards the lightning instinctively turns. It kind of encircles my sword, and as it makes contact with my hand, it's just like this grand slow motion of lightning creeping up into my arm and feeling my form and just filling my entire body with electricity and just the raw power of natural lightning. For a split second, I feel like a god with all this power surging through my veins. And I just go, yes! So as that lightning strikes you and you feel the invigorating power of the gods flowing through you, you are knocked backwards forcefully and hard as you start to go flying, your body recoiling from the force of that strike, and you slam into a wall that you recognize as the wall's of the solitary confinement unit at the Seward Sanitarium. The color is still missing from the world around you. It is slightly more saturated in close proximity to the portal, but the color is largely missing, and you do hear far louder now than you had before the wails and cries of the anguished spirits around you, and you can faintly see the ethereal traces of their ghosts. Perfect. Infotap, your body again begins to reconstitute and change its form and appearance back towards what you are more familiar with. I start touching myself really quickly, go to my face, oh good, the beef jerky is back. (laughs) And you still feel yourself passing through a Vaseline-type fluid and substance. Still hated. And the world begins to morph and shape around you. And as you pull yourself up to your feet and are yourself again, you see that you have not returned back to the asylum. Okay. You are instead in the basement of the museum. Uh. But the world is different. Um. The color has been drained from all of the walls, and you walk into a monochrome museum basement floor. Okay. You feel a slight bit of anguish and grief coming from the sarcophagus out in front of you that you recognize as Anxunamun's sarcophagus. I kind of gulp a little bit and just kind of just to myself go, honey, I'm home. And there is a slight gasp that you hear Uh, from the sarcophagus. uh, I immediately run and like throw the lid off. And you look down into an empty sarcophagus. The air begins to chill around you, and you feel only the fleeting grasp of Anksunamun. 
uh, I wheel around and draw my Kopesh just out of reflex. As you do, you feel very lightly brushing on your back the bony ethereal fingers of what you assume are Anksunamun. Uh, if Imhotep had hair, it'd probably be standing on end right now. Your bandages start standing up on end. Oh, that's 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 still gross. Just they all just at once just go from horizontal to vertical. <laughs> uh, the runes on your bandages begin to slink towards the edges. Can I just say just for a little flavor thing that except for the ones on my arm for my parasite stuff, or do they go too? They go too. Oh God. Um, darling, I know that I said I would return. And here I am. He's just kind of doing the the good old husband, you know, I know you're angry, let's talk this out, <laughs> as he slowly turns around to face who he thinks at least is Anksunamun. Where you should see Anksunamun, you see, in a way that doesn't make physical sense and that your brain can't fully comprehend, you see your own bandages reaching up towards you from out of the sarcophagus. The same runes, it's the same reaction, they are still standing on end, the runes around the edges. Is it just my bandages and not myself? Not a reflection? It is just your bandages. Uh, he's gonna start stepping away. And the runes levitate off the edges of the bandage, melting down off of you, up through this separate spectral form of your own bandages, and begin to circle around you. They begin to fly and tornado and whirlpool around you faster and faster, throwing themselves onto walls, glowing, shifting, and changing. As some runes continue to spiral around you, others continue to melt into the walls. The ones that are flying around you change their shape from runes to pages. Oh boy. And pages of the Necronomicon fly around you, paper all of the walls, meld together with your runes, light up, change their shape and their composition. In between each of these runes and each of these pages, you see a very faint, vague silhouette that you can't ever fully grasp, that is just at the edges of your vision, blinking in and out of existence in between each page fluttering by. And as the pages all slam and collide to the wall, you don't see anything, but you feel that presence. And you hear a voice faintly emerging from your Eidolon poster. You hear it say to you, The void blinked at you, and you are aware of the crawling chaos. When you know about him, you begin to look for him. And the pages shift and change their composition along the wall. And when you look for him, you begin to find him everywhere. And the poster flies up out of your person. It whips and reels 50 feet away from you. Real quick, I just want to add that as soon as the poster flies away, he drops his Kopesh and tries to reach for it. I know he's not going to get it, but that's just what he does. It just barely eludes your grasp, and the creature on the poster disappears as it flies out of range, and you feel its presence 
looming around the edges of your room, and out of the corner of your eye, you can almost spot the movement. You feel yourself being stalked. You can never quite pinpoint exactly where it is. And as you are trying to find where this creature is, you notice that the pages that have papered the wall have arranged themselves into a repeating pattern that you can now recognize as a four-panel comic strip. God damn it. (laughs) I gotta commend you for taking such a stupid idea (laughs) and making it as something actually kind of intense. I'm legitimately looking at my spoils. I'm like, well, what can I do to counteract this eldritch horror that's happening that I know for a fact is just a fat cat that hates Mondays and wants lasagna? (laughs) Imhotep has been like holding his head, trying to use the most of his willpower to just ignore what's happening because he knows it's going to drive him mad. But then as soon as he sees the pattern, he's just like, what? And now he's drawn in to the madness as he's trying to decipher, why is it a comic strip? How do I know what the comic strip is? They were not invented 4,000 years ago. I do not think they existed in the 1800s. Why do I know what this is? (laughs) Roll Arcana. That is an unnatural 20, Dan. I am on a roll today. With an unnatural 20, you feel it would be like the tip of your tongue, but for your brain. At the very edges of your brain, you have the faintest recollection of a memory you don't have. As the shape and the being of this creature starts to take hold. And if you really concentrate, you feel like you can say its name out loud. Oh, as he feels this, his hands are have dropped to his sides and he whispers in just a rasp of his voice. He who hates the coming of the weak, the devourer of the layers, the great orange one. The words garble themselves in your mouth and the syllables take physical form. It comes out of your mouth and writhes and changes in front of you, disappears for a moment, and then from behind you, you feel brushing up against your ankles, a cat. Uh, I slowly look down towards the cat. It is the form of the cat that you and Anksunamun had in life. And it says to you, you are beginning to understand. Make an intelligent saving throw. Oh God, that's a 19. With a 19, you are able to steal yourself and you feel a flash of forbidden knowledge and insight as your mind opens up to information that should be beyond your comprehension. In a moment, you feel the sensation that can best be described as the feeling of being an ant that has just walked across an internal combustion engine and understood its inner workings for a fleeting moment before returning back to the mind of an ant. Interesting way to describe that. Okay. You now know something that you can never unknow. I transcend time and exist all times everywhere simultaneously. For your knowledge, Felines 
can detect this uncertainty and have never trusted you for your entire life beginning now oh my god are you giving more reasoning as to why the cat fucking hated me yep and you feel once again at the edges of the room this force that is stalking you uh so i'm still looking at the cat and i slowly turn towards where i think the entity that's in the room with me is the room quote unquote and you spot it for a fleeting instant out of the corner of your eye before it is gone again I then look back down at the cat and say, uh... And as you look back down at the cat, it leaps up at you, and then is now the poster that floats within your reach. And from the poster, you hear it say, Acquire more knowledge and gain more of my power. Use it to defend against the threats that you don't even know are lurking. Just beyond the edge of your comprehension. And then the runes melt off of the wall and the pages all fold down to the floor and they skitter back up your bandages, crawling up your spine and over your corpse as they take their natural native place before they begin to glow and illuminate with that familiar energy that you recognize as your own that is now no longer entirely your own. And as they glow, you are shunted back to the asylum. Am I holding the poster? Yes. I kind of look it over and then just silently put it back into my bag. Wolfman, you are in the ethereal plane and looking around, you see some discolored trees and bushes and swamp. I I have to ask because now I'm on edge. (laughs) <laughs> Do I have a vacuum cleaner on my back? <laughs> I have to ask. <laughs> no, because I hadn't thought of that. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> but you are back in what you can recognize as the swamps of South Downs. Oh, crap. And you are in the area approaching Carrionite's shack. It is lined with lanterns that are swinging back and forth down this path. And though the world is colorless, there is still an energy radiating out of each of these lanterns. Go ahead and roll Arcana. Uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, unnatural 20. With an unnatural 20, more so than when you were in the material plane, you can see, feel, and hear the presence of the spirits trapped inside. And as you kind of peer in, They seem to, in a physics-defying way, get larger. And I just realized I made them TARDISes. They're bigger on the inside. (laughs) That was not intentional, but whatever. (laughs) We're Doctor Who-y enough as it is, so. Yeah, hey, serial video games, Doctor Who, let's go. These lanterns are prisons. And you can see the souls trapped within each of them that are languishing but lethargic. They seem to have their energy tampered down, and they look at you with not so much despair as melancholy. And you feel a slight bit of remorse and a chill as you look through each of these and feel yourself being drawn down the path towards the shack at the end. I'm gonna say that looking at these lanterns and knowing that I'm in Carrionite's 
realm. I'm gonna clasp for my cane, my one source of protection. Really be frustrated that I don't have it. Um, search for anything else. I, I think I grab my cards, but that's not good enough. And then I am going to open up my little backpack and because you know what? Remembering this area, I remember I too have a gun and I don't know if it's still <laughs> real or not. <laughs> so I'm going to unlock the little box it's in and, and take a look at it. And kind of in his panic of, I need something, I need silver, I need, I need uh, that safety, I'm going to grab the gun and then hold it and try and check to see if there's anything silver on it. I'm going to roll just a straight d20. That was a 17. This is an antique replica of a flintlock. It does still have all of the inner workings of a gun and could be used as such in an emergency. It was designed more for decoration than for actual use. But all of the pieces are there and in working order. It is very old and can only hold at most two bullets, of which currently there are none. It is made of a combination of wood, brass, and at the very tip of the barrel, it is lined with sterling silver. Hmm, okay. And as you touch it, you do still get a faint burn from it, not with the intensity that pure silver would, but there is still a little bit of a kick to it. Okay. And with your firearm in hand, as you progress down the path, you notice that the lanterns are getting bigger and you can see more clearly from the outside looking in, the specters getting slightly more agitated and slightly more mentally cognizant and present. Can I check out their lantern cages? Are they locked? Is there a door? Go ahead and roll investigation. That's a 13. So with a 13, these do appear to have all of the makings of a prison cell of a cage, but there isn't any way that you from this plane of existence could break into and release these souls. Okay. And as you start to approach where the cottage is and these lanterns, these soul cages are getting bigger and bigger, you hear a slightly lethargic and repressed but familiar cackle coming from the largest oh. of these beside the cottage. <laughs> oh, not this one. That's Granny's laugh, I remember. Welcome back, dearie. It is so good to see you again. Oh, Larry. If there is color in this world, all color is going to drain from his face. Uh, and his jaw's gonna drop. He never actually saw her die, but I think he can kind of guess what's going on here, but he's not 100% sure. A gnarled fingertip pokes out of this cage. It is ghostly and spectral with a long talon at the end and some small fungal growth crawling up the digit as it beckons you forward. Uh, you're as, um, as unpleasant as ever, Granny Grimhilda. What are you doing here? Flattery will get you nowhere in this plane. 
What is this plane? You are with her prisons. Have you come to make a deposit and return our sister to us? What? And as she says that, you hear from behind you. Have you come to return our sister to us? Uh, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Then have you come to seek my help? I, I don't know why I'm here. I, I just went through a portal and... I don't know why I'm here. You seem troubled. I can take that soul off your hands, and then your werewolf problem will not plague you any longer. And you can join the peace and the melancholy of the rest of us. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? What are you talking about? All I want is what should have been mine in the first place. I appreciate you and your companions' help in keeping Granny Grimhilda under control, but I expected both of my sister's souls when you took their lives and was met with only one. So if you hand over your soul, I can take the prisoner that is rightfully mine. And we can still work out an agreement that might be beneficial to you. Larry's gonna feel really nauseous because what the wolf told him and what he saw and deep within his mind turned out to be the truth. That he did eat Sister Sycorax. And once he's trying to kind of connect the dots and recollect himself, He's gonna just say, I don't think I want anything to do with any of your dealings. It didn't work out so well for me the last time. Who's to say it won't work out better this time? And with her ethereal, bony, fleshy, human hand reaching out towards you. (laughs) She conjures up- Stay back! I have an intimidation that I think might work on Carrionite. Shall I give it a shot? Give it a shot? What is the intimidation you want to try? Carrionite, you obviously know you're not the only one that can trap souls. As you said yourself, I I, I have your sister trapped. And and though I, I, I can't trap you the way I did her at this moment, I do have my own way. And I bring out my tarot deck, and I flip out the card of gore. If I damage you in some small way, a tiny cut, a bruise... I can have your soul trapped in my cards. Even if I don't kill you here and now, if I'm able to get a hit out on you, I will have your soul when you die. So I'd say, be very careful for what you try next, okay? And here, my sister thought you had an accurate read of your own abilities. You grossly overestimate what you're capable of. And... As you are holding out the card of Gore, you can feel his tentacles emerging from it. And they begin to slither around your arm as they slowly protrude from the card. I try and rip the card in half. Damn, okay. Roll me (laughs) just a straight d20. Oh, Nelly. 
a 19. With a 19, as you go to tear the card in half, the last thing you hear before you do is the slight restrained cackling of Granny Grimhilda. <laughs> and the menacing growl of Carrionite. If you want to try to imitate me, you're going to have to do better than that. I will be pursuing you, and I will come for what is mine. And you tear the card, and as you do, a psychic blast centered around you explodes out in all directions, and it knocks you off your feet. And with that psychic blast, the world melts away around you, and you fall onto your back on the floor of the solitary confinement unit at Seward Sanitarium. All right. The world is still in black and white, and you can still hear the ethereal wails of the spirits trapped within the building. And you are surrounded by the rest of your party. As his, like, head hits the floor, ears ringing, he kind of slow blinks back into consciousness and sort of absentmindedly says out loud, I wonder if I should have taken that deal. Phantom, this is a world and a location that is familiar to you, but the color is completely drained out of everything. And as you look around at this monochrome world, you hear the ringing of a school bell, and you can look around to see the familiar open promenade of Oxford University. What in the goddamn? And all around you, you see tiny wisps of people coming and going through their classes as they move through you. You feel a strange sensation as somebody walks directly through you and you reform around where they were. Uh, as I shudder and experience that, I remember uh, doing that to Larry. <laughs> and I have a moment of guilt. What you also notice all around you as everyone starts to come and go, a lot of spectral figures linger and spread throughout the courtyard the figures and silhouettes of a bunch of ordinary people that you can't really recognize are all looking away from you and slowly, one at a time, begin to turn towards you. And you notice immediately that they are all without a face. I would like to pull a whistle out from my pocket. <laughs> a familiar Oxford-related whistle. Go ahead and roll performance. Oh no, let me just take a look if I have some inspiration. Just gotta... <laughs> oh, I do, I do. So I'm gonna go ahead and... Uh... Ooh. Oh, fuck me. Uh, 17. With a 17, as you pull out the whistle, there's no expression that you can track, but they all seem to be a bit more on alert. They reach their hands out towards you and slowly begin shambling in your direction. Shit, shit. Well, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow the whistle. And as you blow the whistle, no sound comes through, but the world around you begins to warble and shimmer. And you hear very faintly coming through the lilting melody of the Dies Irae. All of the bodies are gone, and you find yourself in the primary lecture hall, standing over 
the bloated, eviscerated, torn to shreds corpse of the false Hydra. There is one head that is remaining that is emaciated and in tatters that looks up in your direction, that stretches and elongates its neck out towards you and looks at you a bit cockeyed. Ew, gross. I'm gonna finish it off. Can I just jab it with a with my old rapier? Go ahead and roll a rapier attack. Now I have to find out what the stats for that are, because I, I this is uh, the first time I busted that baby out. <laughs> 13 to hit. Ugh. A 13 does not hit. So as you slash at it, it stretches its neck up out of the way, and the face begins to contort and show back to you a series of familiar images. So the first face that you see staring down at you is the judgmental expression of the Vicomte Raoul de Chani. Do I have the chance to stab it again, but like way more aggressively? Go ahead and roll another rapier attack at disadvantage. Yeah, fair enough. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's 12. Oh God, it's just like real life. I don't get to stab him. And again, it swings out of the way and the face contorts to that of Madame Geary, staring down at you in judgment for everything that you put her and her family through. To be fair, your daughter sucks. Go ahead and roll a rapier attack with advantage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. This is just an ever decreasing game here. This is seven. This is a dodgy Hydra that was supposed to be in the throes of death. (laughs) So with a seven, again, it dodges out of the way, contorts and shifts into the face of a young boy that bears a striking resemblance to both yourself and Christine as the face of Gustav looks pleadingly down at you with a combination of first fear, then disgust, then desperation. I will not attack this time. Despite despite the disgust part, and it, it hurts Phantom's feelings, uh, but I... Oh, I can't I can't stab at it this time on account of the beauty underneath. And on account of the beauty underneath, recognizing a kindred spirit with you, the mouth opens and lets out a lilting melody that feels hauntingly both comforting to you and foreign to you as the beautiful voice of this young boy who shares your gift and your talent for music slowly morphs and shifts into the Dies Irae. And the world begins to shudder and blink out of existence before you. And you find yourself back in Seward Sanitarium, but this time also monochrome, surrounded by your compatriots and feeling and hearing all around you the wail of the specters that you can see freely floating around and infesting these walls. I'll reach up and I'm gonna touch right under my eyes because I've seen them before, obviously, Uh, but I don't have the spell on, so it's very upsetting. Jack, you recognize the familiar landmarks of the town of Stratford, but everything is monochrome. There are some spectral presences floating around the edges of town, and you can see 
almost out of focus, the living members of the town going about their day. And a couple of soldiers walk directly through you. Whoa. Go ahead and roll perception. A natural 19 plus a 1 is a 20. All right, so with an unnatural 20, you can see as the living people are going about their day. Off to the side where the anti-magic circle once was, it still is, and there is an assembled committee of both living and undead that are circled around within the confines of the anti-magic circle. You see Gonzo at the head looking very tired, very stressed, and very annoyed, surrounded by Marlo, Maledict, Orlock, the living vampire twin, the bartender from the nest, a couple of other miscellaneous undead, a few vampires and vampire spawns that you had never seen before, that are all sitting in folding chairs in a semicircle within this anti-magic circle. And you can faintly hear Gonzo saying, All right, this is the designated time to air your grievances, so town hall, take it away. Oh, oh, I demand my chance to speak on behalf of my fellow undead citizens. Everyone lets out a collective groan. <laughs> All right, what is it this time, Morlock? Well, if, if we are making radical changes to the way this town and this society functions, I do have my primary complaint that I want to make known. We need a new mailbox. I don't follow. Well, you see, the mailbox at the edge of town... The, the back of it is broken off, there is... And basically, anyone can come and go and steal the mail as is. I haven't received a letter in ten years. The mailbox has only been there for one year. I know! That's how bad the problem is! <laughs> and, by the way, we need to do something about the hours in the local community recreation center. It closes early on Thursdays, and Thursdays are my late-night days. Can we please do something to adjust that? Orlock, this isn't... This isn't what this is supposed to be about. And all of that begins to fade into the distance. As you hear, far off towards the backside of town, coming from the nest. <laughs> and as you look off in that direction, you can see faintly through the ethereal shimmer that the entire building is surrounded by guards, but coming through the same plane of existence that you are on, you hear that familiar Rainer laugh punch through all of the noise. As soon as I hear that, that laugh, I'm going to turn around and start trying to see if I can clock him, but kind of walk in the direction that I, I'm aware that it came from. As you make your way closer to the nest, it gets a bit louder and a bit fuller. And as you head towards the front entrance, you can see underneath the welcome sign that you have defaced that has still yet to be repaired. You look down the set of stairs and at the base of the stairway where the open door that leads into the nest is, you see the buggy-eyed, impossibly wide grin of Rainer with his arms outstretched, clutching either end of the banisters, staring up at you. <laughs> Mr. Griffin, 
I'm glad that you could finally make it. Please, come in. Well, I don't exactly need an invitation. But yes, you said you wanted to talk. Let's do it. And he opens up the door and gestures for you to walk inside. Yeah, I'm, I'm going in. And as you walk into the nest, you can see even through the ethereal plane, within the material plane, it is completely empty and abandoned. I'm going to say you decide where to go first and he will follow. In that case, I'm going to go to the upstairs area where I had a conversation with Marlo that first time. Okay. So the first thing that Rainer says as he stares down at you with his unnervingly wide eyes. What I would like to know before we begin our business, why did you invite me in? It's not every day that I find someone that can actually see me when I'm completely visible. And admittedly, you've piqued my curiosity. Why do you need a sample of my skin? It's not so much what I need for myself, but what I can do for you. Consider it a peace offering. He pulls a vial out of his jacket, slides it towards you, uncorks it, splashes a tiny bit of it on your arm, and you can see your skin begin to momentarily reform over that area that he splashed down on. This is only a temporary measure. You will go back to normal within a few minutes, but it is something that my resources are working on. And if we can accomplish this, imagine what other scientific curiosities and breakthroughs we can accomplish. See, the reason that I wanted to speak to you is because I have an offer from my my master. We are planning on revolutionizing this countryside. He will bring order to a decaying world and bring about a new empire. And in this empire, we will have scientific curiosities untold. And we need some of the greatest minds of our generation if we really are to reach the peaks that we hope to ascend to. And so that's why my employer would like to extend an offer to you, not just to be our lead research scientist, but to be the face of our technological industrial revolution. You will get all of the praise, all of the glory that has been denied you for so long, and all you have to do is lend your mind to us. Jack's face honestly just wavers, and he's almost visibly excited at this, and um, then he kind of like tries to go back to business, but of course he's known that he can show his facial expressions to anybody and everybody, so he's never actually had to try and hide them. And then he realizes, fuck, it's Rainer. Like, he can actually see me. So, essentially back to business. You want to bring about a new empire to this world, but what, what does that mean? What are you trying to do before I get into bed with anybody? I need to know what the goals are. Our goals are simply to 
make better use of the resources that are going squandered. My master, you may call him an employer, he sees the way that these mortals, these humans, these inferior minds are bleeding away the life and resources of this great land, and it's all going to waste. Our goal is simply to take the existing infrastructure, take the waste and the incompetence, and rechristen them into an enlightened empire, the empire of Dracul. What we want to do is simply change where these resources are going so that we can reach new peaks, so that the lifeblood that is being drained out of this earth can go towards someone who can make use of it, who can give it back, who can rein in all of the unruliness and can ascend and bring this world to what it really can be. Think about what you could do with limitless resources, the discoveries that you could make completely unhindered by laws of morality and legality, these archaic legal systems that have held you back, the scientific oversight boards. You would be free of all of it. And he is one who knows the ways of the arcane. With magic and science working in tandem, there is no limit to what you could discover, to what you could comprehend. And you will sit by his side, like I will sit by his side. <laughs> and you will be known and praised as one of the bringers of glory in the shadow of the mighty emperor. Isn't that kind of praise what you've always wanted? How do you know that's what I've always wanted? You're not as cryptic as you think. The invisible man. You've taken yourself out of the limelight in order to operate in the shadows, in order to revel in the power of being able to go unseen. What else could you possibly desire than to be seen and acknowledged for your brilliance? <laughs> the uh, invisibility, this power that I do have, it's a near invincibility that I do have. But unfortunately, there are tricky people out there that render my power almost useless. Now, I have a question. Is there a reason why you have not said your master's name? It is simply a show of reverence. And it's an employer to me, so I'm free to say his name however and whenever. If you're being so persnickety, then say it. Dracula. The room kind of wobbles a little bit as you say the name. And he says, Ah, I see you've made it past the perception filter. Then we can drop the pretenses. Yes, my master is Count Vladimir Tepesh, the one you know as Dracula. And the stories you've heard are all true. He is as terrifying, as glorious, as magnificent as he sounds. And you can either stand in his way or you can stand by his side. 
the rewards will flow freely to you if your mind is put to his uses. But the punishments will be tantamount and severe. You will be no better than all of the lambs that are being led to the slaughter. Those who are bleeding its lifeblood dry shall become the lifeblood of the Empire of Dracul. And you can stand above them, or you can drown in their corpses. The choice is yours. Everything that you offer me, it is what I want. But, as I said, I need to know who it is that I get into bed with. And I need to know what happens to these people I've come across. And I've got one more person in mind that I've been doing all of this for. But first tell me what happens with them. What happens with Larry? What happens with Mary? What happens with Emotep, Phantom, and Carmilla? Well, that depends entirely on them. They, too, can be ushered into this age of greatness if they choose not to stand in the way of the Master. He has great strides. It is better not to be in the path of his mighty footsteps. If they scatter out of the way like the insects they are, then they can survive. And if they find a way to adapt, prove themselves useful, join our glorious vision, then not only can they survive, but they can thrive. But ultimately, it depends on their disposition. They are less amenable than one with a mind such as yours. Flora, what about her? Again, that depends on you. Anyone has the choice to be the victim or the oppressor and you can make sure that she is not oppressed if you yourself are not a victim. Think about everything that you and your compatriots have been through. We all have been tossed to the sides of society. We all have been under the heel of the living, of the incompetent masses for so long. I'm no different than you. I, too, am an outcast. A misfit, you might say. The only difference is that I have a purpose, and I have a seat at the table when justice is finally served. How is it that you've amassed all this power, and yet you're still underneath him? I want you to think very, very hard about what you've just said. Because that is less an indictment of me than it is a praise of him. You are already seeing the bigger picture. All of this power that I have amassed is nothing but a pale imitation of his glory. And if you're frightened of me, which you very well should be, <laughs> then you should be terrified of him. And as he looks into your eyes with that manic stare, a shimmer passes over his eyes. I need you to make a wisdom saving throw. Shit. 100% I failed that because that's a five. With a five, as you look into his eyes and see that shimmer pass over them, you get thrown back in your seat and your brain reels. You think back to your times in your own sanitarium. You think of every single encounter that defined you and made you who you were. 
who would you say was the most influential mentor figure in the Invisible Man's life? It's actually Flora's dad. Wrong. It's Rainer. And as you picture the mental image of Flora's dad, the face is overtaken with those buggy eyes and that impossibly wide grin. Who were the scientists that you created your invisibility serum with in your laboratory? I'm guessing now I see Rainer. Yes. Each and every person that you have worked with in the creation of your invisibility serum, the people who persecuted you, the people who helped you, the people who were in your way, the people who were tangentially there, one at a time, all of their faces become overtaken. Their voices are overwritten with that laugh that echoes through your head. I'm immediately going to pull my dagger and stab my leg. Interesting. As I'm doing that, I'm telling him to get out of my head. I don't know if this is sneak attack because uh, it was honestly spur of the moment thing. If you want to sneak attack yourself, you can. I'm not going to force you to. I mean, I will. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's fair. Um, okay. <laughs> I wasn't planning this. Oh my god. And as you stab the dagger into your leg, the last face that flashes before you is the face of Flora. Except it isn't. It's the face of Rainer. You see, as you stab your leg, you get jolted momentarily. You will take damage from that. We'll get to that in a second. But your brain reels and you focus on the here and now. And you focus on the people around you. You focus on the journey you've been on so far. And you see your party members. You see Phantom pulling the blade out of Abraham Van Helsing's heart, causing his death. And you no longer see Phantom, you see Rainer. You see Mary fighting his way through the Black Pudding, pulling the cursed sword from the swamp, driving you deeper and deeper into danger. And as he looks back at you with a manic grin delighting from combat, he becomes Rainer. You see Imhotep reaching for the scroll in the museum. It's not Imhotep, it's Rainer. You see Larry transforming into a vicious monster that nearly destroyed all of your party, and that monster is Rainer. And you settle yourself down, you focus, open your eyes, and you see standing above you staring down at you, laughing, Rainer. <laughs> if I can do all that, imagine what he could do. It was sneak attack, and I did 20 points of damage to myself, and I'm sitting at like seven. Oh, damn. <laughs> I'm on the floor because I did way more damage than I was expecting to. I'm going to look up at him. I don't know where that power is coming from. And I know you're going to tell me it was your master. But that fucking laugh is so goddamn annoying. You called all of us insects. You do realize that that's me too. And I do not want to work under anybody. You attacking me is plenty enough that I need to know that you have no loyalty to anybody that you work with. As much as I want everything that you're offering me, it is not worth my soul. And I know Flora would not allow it either. She would despise me 
after all this. I might be signing my own death warrant, but you and your master, I'll do what I can to hinder you at any moment I can. Very well. That is your decision. Just one more thing. Say his name. Why don't we say it together? Dracula. The words do not escape your mouth, and you find yourself choked up and panicking. I don't know if this is a good call, but I want to pull that cork again on the beholder. Interesting. As you pull out the cork, you hesitate for a moment, and nothing happens. I'm 100% panicking now. (laughs) Uh, And Raynor disappears, and the world around you begins to melt away. And as the echoing words of his voice saying, Dracula, Dracula, ring out around you, they blast you out the door that you came from. You close your eyes and brace yourself, and you find yourself back in the Seward Sanitarium. Carmilla, where you have materialized, you recognize your burial site as you are back in the cemetery on the outskirts of St. Mary's Cathedral. And you see floating around you the spectral figures of several long-dead agitated souls that flitter and float around you. Okay. What is your immediate reaction and mental space to being back in this cemetery? You know, the last time we were there was the day that everybody found out how uh, horrible Carmilla had been. Is this also the day that the fight in the churchyard happened? Roll insight. 12. With a 12, some time does seem to have passed from the last time you are here. You can see that the church building itself is still a wreck and is in the process of being repaired and put back together. You can see, moving around through this cemetery, a small handful of clergymen who are assembling and gathering some materials and working on repairing this church building. One of them walks right through you, and it is a very strange out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. And as this priest walks through where you are standing and kind of phases right through you, the soul of Van Helsing passes with him momentarily before snapping back into your form. Make a constitution saving throw. Oh, God. Oh, man, that's an eight. With an eight, you are magnetically drawn towards the church building and being led by the anguished spirit of Abraham Van Helsing within you. Mm -hmm. It again takes another step outside of your body and form. And as though you are tethered and connected by a series of ethereal and visible strings, you are pulled along in his wake as he shambles closer and closer to the church building proper past the other clergy. You can faintly hear the echoed whispers of these clergymen strategizing their disorganized attempts to try and pull together all that remains of the Blood Hunters in order to try and make an organized front on Warwick Castle. It's a little sad how few resources they have 
remaining. Most of them were decimated on the night that you were brought back to life by Rainer's forces. And the few that remain are lost and leaderless. Things haven't been the same since the death of Abraham Van Helsing. We have no heirs of the Baron Vordenberg left to lead us. And even the Lady Amelia de Gonzola has long since abandoned our ranks. We're all that's left. And there is maybe four that are here. Oh, man. That's really messed up. Um, okay, so the first thing that came to mind, at least for me, perhaps not Carmilla. I I would think she's probably, it's probably in that weird sort of disassociative, I am present, but not really, where... I assume the ethereal plane kind of feels a lot like like the constant feeling of waking up from a dream. That's a cool way to put it. Okay, so right now the city of Stratford is having a pretty tough time keeping everything between uh, vampires and humans and everything else that's going on politically. Um, Carmilla, being a blood hunter herself as a result of Van Helsing's inhabitation, I would want Carmilla to bring these people to Stratford as a stronghold for a mm, multiplicative effect <laughs> on their numbers. Yes, I think if Carmilla is going to try and if not recognize their faces, then recognize their voices to find them later. So I will say that you can pretty accurately clock these individuals well enough that you would be able to later track them down and organize them. But at the moment, you are still being dragged to the church building proper, Mm -hmm. which even though it is in disrepair, there is still enough of a doorway that when you meet it, you stop dead in your tracks, and the soul of Van Helsing continues. Make a constitution saving throw. It's a 13. With a 13, you will take a d6 of force damage as you are stopped in place at this doorway that you have not been invited into, and the soul that has bonded with you continues to stride its way forward. (laughs) Just slam into the door. (laughs) That is... Only two damage, but as it separates from you, you start to disassociate. Mm -hmm. And you begin to see through both your own eyes and the eyes of the spirit of Van Helsing that is making its way towards the altar. And his personality begins to take hold. It's been waxing and waning, but through one last concerted effort, it recorporealizes and takes on his form and asserts his self. As he makes his way to the altar, there is a memorial marker behind it, dedicated to the soul of his ancestor, the founder of the church, and the spiritual founder of the Blood Hunters and the Order of the Ghost Slayer, the Saint Maria Van Helsing. And a chill runs down your spine as you very slowly start to see her familiar form begin to appear from out of the marker, and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up on end as you feel a familiar looming presence 
both before Abraham and behind yourself as some ghostly footsteps make their way towards you and you feel a gauntleted ghostly hand clamp down on your shoulder. Shit. It's happening at the same time as Maria is corporealizing? Yes. At the same time, you recognize the presence of the Baron Vordenberg clamping down on your shoulder. Oh, right, because this is the ether. Oh, my. Oh, man. <laughs> I am so dead. <laughs> and his spirit, which, as you have correctly guessed, is more solid, more formed, and more full here in the ethereal realm where ghosts reside. Right. His grip tightens. And he says, I told you, I would give you one chance to prove yourself. You are not going to prove your worth to me. If it were my choice, I would kill you here and now. This is your chance to prove you're worthy of redemption. You do not have to convince me because you never will. You need to convince her. And the spirit of Maria Van Helsing fully appears before the soul of Abraham Van Helsing. And the two of them share a moment of recognition. And Abraham kneels and pays deference to his ancestor, who puts a hand on his spectral shoulder, gives her his blessing, and the two begin to commune. Your perception through his eyes starts to fade as you begin solidifying more in your own self once again. You do hear, before he vanishes, why did you sacrifice your soul for the one who killed me? It was some combination of optimism, naivety, desperation, and hubris. My soul was dead and gone anyway. And I knew there was no chance of me getting out of that cemetery alive. So I thought that if I could put it to good use, if I could redeem one such as her, then anybody could be redeemed. I don't know how foolish I was to make that judgment, but I had to give her the chance. And then he disappears, and you feel your sense of spirit reinvigorating as that soul returns to your body and her spirit emerges from the church and Mm. approaches you. She and Vordenberg lock eyes and you feel Vordenberg's grip on you loosen and then tighten again. Mm. Sister Maria, it's good to see you. Baron, I appreciate the work that you've done, but there is work that is still needed. And she looks to you and says, My descendant sacrificed his soul for your salvation. Explain to us both why you are worthy of it. What have you done with it since you've had it? I feel like Carmilla is like whatever the ether equivalent of shitting your pants is. Well, her whole journey has just been about the ripple effects of thirst. I feel like with vampirism, it's once you get past a certain level, it's not just the thirst for 
you know, blood, um, sustenance, etc. It's the thirst for power. It's something that cannot be slaked. And um, this meeting with Maria, asking her what she has done. What has she been doing but being a witness, being a vessel? The clergy picking up the pieces in the churchyard. Constantly people picking up the pieces of the damage in her wake. I think that strangely having Vordenberg's hand on her shoulder is actually a sign of endorsement from him, which I think is going to be very um, important. Um, so let me think of what Carmilla has to say. <laughs> While Carmilla is having that internal struggle, Maria says, I can sense the guilt and the feelings of atonement within you. That is good, but I need to ensure that that will linger and is more than just momentary penance. What do you value? Fullness of a thirst slaked, an end to hunger. Interesting. And how do you intend to end that hunger. Giving it a name is the only way to identify it out of the menagerie of wants and needs that we have in this world. But the thirst for power and destruction of all things goes beyond that. And one must start with a single step. I would like to extend what little power I have now in exchange for all of the powers that I misuse in my past. Being deliberate about. I mean, really, the word I'm looking for here is reparations. <laughs> um, As you say that, you feel yourself interrupted by the feeling of the javelin of lightning pressing up against your back over where your heart is. You would renounce your vampiric heritage and set to atone for all the wrongs you've done. Am I correct in assuming that this is more than empty words? If it is not, you know the penalty. <laughs> yeah. I believe that my actions will speak louder and more clearly than any words I could ever give you. And the ghost of the Saint Maria raises a hand and she says, then let your actions prove that you are worthy of the soul of a Van Helsing. The Baron here has sworn an oath and will be keeping an eye on you if you stray or falter from that path for even a moment. I disagree with his methods, but it is not my choice to make. And a momentary pulse of shame followed by conviction 
tightens in Vordenberg behind you, and that hand lets go of your shoulder, takes a few steps back, and he says, I've sworn an oath that the Karnstein legacy will not continue. So long as you follow that same oath, then I can withhold my hand of judgment. Well, this is not exactly what I was excited about, you know, coming out to the mortal enemy of my past self, but uh, there will not be a lineage, I can assure you. <laughs> I'm talking about other vampires, vampire spawns, the death incarnate, it's a metaphor. What, what are we even doing here? We're wasting our time. And he slams the javelin of lightning onto the ground and a pulse of lightning shoots outwards. And as the electricity hits you, you feel yourself flicker out of existence, vanishing from this plane, and recorporealize back in the asylum. You are still in the solitary confinement unit where you once were in the Seward Sanitarium. The color is still gone from the world. It is slightly more saturated in close proximity to the portal, but everything is still in gray tones. And you can hear the wailing anguish of the spirits trapped within that asylum. And as you look around, the rest of the party is there too. We are the outcasts, the misfits you might say. We deal with the nightmares that you run away from every single day. We know the world is a gruesome little place. But us outsiders, we've developed quite a taste For the grisly and morbid, the ghastly and the horrid We know it's awful dreadful, but we like it Just another haunted night, shrouded with unearthly fright So when you're oh so terrified, you know who to call The world is falling apart, we'll never take it to heart Thank you so much for listening to this episode of D and Dark, created, hosted, and edited by myself, Danger Dan Jers, with artwork by Jordan Nelson. D and Dark's cast this episode is Ben Magnet as Mary, the Frankenstein monster, Daniel Cruz as Imhotep, the mummy, Jordan Nelson as Larry Talbot, the Wolfman, Aaron Coffold as Eric the Phantom of the Opera, and Grayson Norman as Jack Griffin, the Invisible Man. This episode also featured Janae Pellerin as Carmilla Karnstein and Josh Anderson Severi as Victor Frankenstein. Our theme song and outro is Let's All Have a Ball by Ryan White Maloney and Tony Carboni recorded at True North Studios Las Vegas. Additional music this week was provided by Alexander Lapko, Joy Lynn Music, and John Stoic Dream Venturer. Listen to new episodes of D&D Dark Wednesdays, anywhere you find podcasts. Like I said, good on you for... That was dumb. That was... <laughs> that was, should not have been as intense as it was for a Garfield joke, but I very much appreciate it.